Hey, it's Deontay Smith, offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals, and you're listening to Every Given Sunday. Welcome in, everybody. This is the first official episode of Every Given Sunday Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Tilly, Brandon Harewood. Yeah, we're back to give you guys another great episode, get some good information. Let's start this off on a good note. So today we'll be discussing a couple of topics. We'll be getting to news and notes around the leagues, questionables, sleepers, just give you guys a little good intro, first episode. And thank you all who did listen to our first intro episode to kind of get us to know us a little bit. Very greatly appreciate it. Um, and if you can, definitely, you know, leave us some reviews, notes, anything like that, if you do listen to this episode. So uh, today we're just going to go ahead and kind of kick things off and start with news around the league. So uh, we just wanted to start a little bit with the Titans situation, speaking on since they now they've acquired Julio Jones and just see how that kind of affects the whole offense as a whole, particularly A.J. Brown. Did that make things easier for Derrick Henry? So um, how do you feel about that, Brandon? Um, for me, I feel like it really – it doesn't really change much for A.J. Brown or Derrick Henry. If anything, I feel like it just kind of makes things easier. Um, I feel like it really impacts Julio Jones the most, but, like, in a positive way. Um, he is going to be in a more potent offense this year where he is – uh, getting a quarterback upgrade from Matt Ryan to Ryan Tannehill. Um, I feel like most people would disagree with that. But if you do disagree with that, I feel like you can just honestly look at the numbers from the last two years. And it's not even close. Um, he is also going to a team that has the NFL's rushing leader uh, for the last two years. And Derrick Henry and anybody that knows football just knows that the run just opens up the pass even more. So it's really just making things easier for Julio this year um, compared to what he had to do in Atlanta. Um, and I watched a lot of Tennessee Titans football last year, and their play-action game is literally just a cheat code because teams have to stack the box every play just to account for Derrick Henry. And he'll also have a younger replica of him on the other side of the field in A.J. Brown, which is literally just a nightmare for any secondary in the league. Um, so I'm confident that we can expect similar type of performance from A.J. Brown this year like he did in 2020. And I honestly just see the Titans offense having a field day uh, this year. And I'm really just excited to see how they utilize all of these weapons. I agree with most of that. But like you said, most people might disagree with your quarterback upgrade situation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Matt Ryan fan. Always have been. I just think that he has never had the defense to help him. He's always been playing from behind, especially the past two years. Um, that makes them have to throw the ball. Todd Gurley had the bum hammies. You can't run the ball in the <laughs> bum hammies. So yeah. it was either Julio, Calvin Ridley. I mean, a couple other Russell Gage supporting cast. But other than that, who else was really there to help Julio? Uh, I do think it is an upgrade for Julio, but I don't know if it affects, like you said, AJ Brown that much. If anything, it's going to make him more open because statistically, obviously Julio is one of the great fantasy wide receivers and you can't leave him open and you can't leave AJ Brown open and you can't leave the run open. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, I'm excited to see the tight end get involved. Obviously, they lost Janu, 
but I do think the tight end and their number three wide receiver is going to have a much bigger impact this year than they did last year. Yeah, so so basically, everybody's going to be open. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the person that it definitely helps the most, or not the most, I guess in a really big way, would be Tannehill. He has, I mean, last year, let's be honest, okay, it's basically somewhat similar to the same offense, but like there are there were some key losses. Like John, who was a big part of their offense, and they did lose him. And Corey Davis is gone now, but let's be honest, Julio's a let's just say it's a well big upgrade over Corey Davis. Um, but yeah, so Anthony Frisker, uh, he should have a bigger role this year coming in. Assuming, you know, even with Julio coming in, the Titans have been raving about him at camp. I mean, I said, yes, the Titans have been raving about him at camp. So I'm expecting Frisker to play a bigger role this year than he did last year. And I mean, and honestly, it's just training camp. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. We're going to hear really a lot of good news. So don't look too much into it, but he is a starter for them now. So he should have a bigger impact, but based on, Looking at the new roster, Tannehill accounted for 33 passing touchdowns last year with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. And I'm not expecting him. I'm not saying he's going to come in and score 42 passing touchdowns because he has Julio Jones now. Their motto is to still be run the ball first to Derrick Henry, that he's the best player on the offense. That's just my opinion. So, But it does help that you have Julio Jones, who's well-regarded, when healthy. It's not a debate, a top two, three receiver in the NFL. Like, forget fantasy, but just as an NFL receiver, he's definitely regarded as a top two or three receiver when he's healthy and is on the field. A.J. Brown is on the rise to certainly a top ten receiver, arguably can make his way into the top five, depending on what he does this year. Um, and I think now it really helps Derrick Henry a lot, too, because you can't put eight in the box against him. It really didn't work when you did put eight in the box against him. But if you put eight, if you put eight in the box now, yeah, Tannehill's going to have a field day. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting Tannehill to have a lot – more efficient numbers, I would say, not like better, just a little more efficient in terms of completion percentage. In 2019, when he became the starter, it was 70 and it went down to 65. I'm expecting to go back right, either right in between that range or closer to 70 again, depending on his efficiency numbers. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I got, I, a, next, que- I got go a question. Yeah. Is there any excuse for Tannehill to not perform this year? I, I know it's a lot of pressure, but. When you look at the cast around him, is there any yeah, – we're going to talk about Tannehill later, but is there any excuse for him not to put amazing numbers up? Unless Derrick Henry is running for 250 again, then obviously he's not going to have as many opportunities. Yeah, so I think all the numbers will be skewed a little bit this year in terms of everybody has to remember for those who do not keep up with football as an everyday thing and are listening. There, they, we have added an extra game this year, so it will be 17 games instead of 16 so that will make a difference in a lot of fantasy stats and a lot of records that may be set to come in the future this year upcoming year so for Tannehill that's why I said I don't I think there is pressure on him I don't want to say I feel like he reached his ceiling last year because I feel like Tannehill could get better but he did have a couple outlier numbers for me when I was looking at the research so I feel like if anything, it should be less pressure to me because now it's just easier. Again, just my opinion. With Julio instead of Corey Davis, and you have you have Julio Jones and A.T. Brown on the outside. My Lord. It's, it's, it's just going to be hard for him to not – everything should just be easy for Tannehill. As long as he's consistently doing what he's been doing and progressing from 2019 to 2020 and progressing again in 2021, it's going to be hard for me to see him not being a top, top seven or eight QB again. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um as far as pressure, um, I don't think 
like like Joe said, if anything, it'll be less pressure. Um, you're getting a top 10 receiver uh, added on to your team that was already a pretty potent offense uh, to begin with. Um, he, he's dealt with pressure throughout his entire career, having to take uh, the starting QB spot away from Marcus Mariota, who was a first round uh, talent QB. Um, he, he's gone to the playoffs. He, he, he's brought a lot of success to Tennessee. If anything, he should just be jumping with joy right now at the fact that, you know, the Titans have made a lot of, you know, free agent acquisitions this year that should put them in position to be a Super Bowl contender this upcoming season. So if anything, I think, uh, I think Tannehill is doing, doing all right right now. So next we're going to get a little bit, uh, this one's going to be a little shorter, but we're going to get a bit into the Cal Pitt situation in Atlanta. Um, they, I guess they kind of go with each other since Julio got traded from Atlanta and that opens up a lot of things for Pitts. So um, Tilly, how do you feel about uh, Pitts and what do you kind of expect from him and the Falcons? Yeah. So Joe knows I'm a big college football guy. I watch college football every weekend. It's on the Thursday night, Friday night. I'm talking about even Maction on Wednesday nights, you know, conferences that nobody watch watches and watched Florida a lot last year and Kyle Pitts is everything we're hearing I mean he's a legit weapon when he comes up the field he I'm not gonna say he's a replacement for Julio by any means but I think he could end up in the future being just as dangerous as a weapon um the only concern that I have with the addition is Hayden Hurst we're not going to pretend he's not there still. I do think Hayden Hurst is a good tight end, especially when you get into the red zone and you see a lot of two tight end sets. The coverage is going to be relying to cover Pitts and Ridley, which is why I think that there's going to be some Hayden Hurst robbing some touchdowns from Kyle Pitts this year. And obviously there's going to be more pressure on Calvin Ridley to perform. He's been great the past two years. I don't think it's going to affect him. But for that offense to succeed, and they obviously got a running back that's very capable now that we'll talk about later. But for the offense to succeed, I think it's really going to be Ridley and Pitts carrying most of the workload. Yeah, so uh, basically looking at Pitts coming in, he was already a pretty exciting prospect. It's very rare that you get a tight end that goes in the top five in NFL history in the drafts. So, um, I mean, yeah, he's 6'6". 240, 250, runs a 4-4. He's a freak of nature, man. Only other guy we've seen similar to that coming into the NFL off the combine is Vernon Davis. It's the most comparable guy. And I would say Vernon Davis had a pretty good NFL career. So with Julio getting traded, it was kind of tricky doing projections and kind of seeing where I think Cal Pitt stood um, when you're looking at projections when Julio was there. But I think, you know, now that he's gone, I mean, I view Kyle Pitts, he is a tight end, but I view him as – a tight end, a receiver that plays tight end, just my opinion. So I expect him to be a huge red zone threat, even though people know what's coming. If Matt Ryan does what they're supposed to do in their game plan, they should still target Pitts regardless and give at least give him chances to score in the red zone. So I just think him and really have a chance to put up really high fantasy numbers in each position. Now, I don't know if I would draft Pitts as high as what his ADP is now because I think he's going around five, I want to say. So it's close. I mean, he may end up very well being worth it, but it's it's a tough position to be in. Yeah, my my opinion is very similar to the both of you guys. Um, I do think with Julio Jones leaving, this does make Kyler Pitts the number two option on the team. 
Um, he's a once in a generation type of talent. He's a physical specimen. When you look at him on the field, the Falcons could have gone with whoever they wanted at the number four pick. And the fact that they chose Pitts and parted ways with Julio Jones immediately afterwards, basically that's just them passing the torch. And like Tilly said, I'm not saying that Kyle Pitts is coming in to be Julio Jones. I'm just saying they're expecting a lot of him this year. Um, I definitely understand the argument that Hayden Hurst is still on the team and should still play a major role in the offense, but I don't think that he will interfere with Pitts as much as people think. I expect Atlanta to be creative with him because although he is a tight end, like Joe said, his skill set allows him to line up anywhere he wants, and he's a mismatch on whoever steps in front of him. Um, I'm excited to see what Pitts does on the field this year. Little Just a little news and notes around the league just to kind of get you guys a little updated for those who are not, you know, Constantly just winning moves and everything. So next, we're going to go ahead and get into our sleepers. We each chose one player or one scenario that were, you know, feel like guys, I want to say undervalued. So everybody has a different definition of a sleeper. And to me, a sleeper is more so, I guess, guys that I feel like are, are being underdrafted for what they could potentially be for their value or what they could end up as, as a ranking when the season ends. So, um, what do you have as your sleeper today, Brandon? Yeah, so my sleeper is Atlanta Falcons current starting running back, Mike Davis. Um, the reason I chose Mike Davis is because I feel as though that he doesn't really carry much name value. And what I mean by that is most people still view him as a backup running back, which is what he served as for a majority of his career up until last year when he took over the backfield in Carolina for Christian McCaffrey. Um, I don't think most people realize that Mike Davis finishes the running back 12 on a shaky Carolina Panthers offense last year. And you also have to factor in the fact that Christian McCaffrey started in three of those games. So he really did all that production in 13 starts, which makes it even more impressive. Um, he ended up finishing the season with 642 rushing yards, 165 attempts with six rushing touchdowns, which isn't the most impressive numbers in the world. But I think that you can cut him some slack because they're playing from behind most of the time. Their defense was kind of weak. And a lot of times they had a lot of three and outs due to inconsistent quarterback play from Bridgewater. Um, a little stat about that is out of 32 teams in the league, uh, Carolina finished 24th when it comes down to third down percentage last year, and they weren't able to always establish the run. Um, and there were a few times last year where the Panthers were utilized people like Curtis Samuel in the running back position last year on passing downs as well as in the goal line. However, what's encouraging about Mike Davis's numbers last year is the fact that in the receiving game, he totaled 59 catches on 70 passing attempts for 373 yards and two touchdowns. That's fourth in receptions, fifth in targets, and ninth in receiving yards amongst running backs last year. Um, and we look at those numbers, he was pretty efficient pass catcher in 2020. Um, these numbers are also encouraging to me because it, it clearly solidifies him as a three down back who can handle both the rushing and pass catching role in an offense. So when I look at his situation now in Atlanta, where I feel as though he's facing even less competition, um, I looked at their depth chart the other day and their RB2 on their on the Atlanta Falcons uh, depth chart is Cordell Patterson, who is a special teams gadget player who also plays receiver and he shouldn't really be much of a threat and so Atlanta also brought in former Titans OC Arthur Smith who will, who will be their head coach now who was the OC for the Titans and he's well known for establishing the run game with Derrick Henry so I would expect them to establish a similar culture in Atlanta as well 
Um, his uh, average draft position is 63 overall, which would put him in the back of the fifth round in the 12-man league, 28th amongst running backs. This is a guy who finished number 12 last year, who you can basically grab at running back 28. So it's basically robbery. How much of how much of a steal he is this year? Um, other running backs going uh, within the same draft price as him include Ronald Jones, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne. Uh, a couple of those guys do have a lot of upside, but Mike Davis is the only one on that list that's not splitting time. Um, you can look at what Todd Gurley did last year with his old man knees and his bum hammy. He looked slow as ever last year, and even with that, uh, three weeks one. One through nine last year, Todd Gurley was the running back six and was basically a touchdown machine until his knee broke down uh, halfway through the season. So I feel like Mike Davis has a similar play style as Todd Gurley, being that he's a hard runner who can get active in the past game. He's healthier and looked more explosive than Gurley last year. And I should at least expect him um, to put up comparable, if not better stats than what Gurley did in those first nine weeks last year. Uh, which I said was running back six. Uh, running backs are very thin this year, and if you're lucky enough to grab Mike Davis in the back of the fifth round, early sixth round, I think he's the clear steal this year. Yeah, to piggyback off that a little bit, I'm going to let Tilly go ahead and talk. Just one thing I want to throw in there. I'm not a fan of the zero RB strategy. I just never have been a fan, never will be a fan, or I just can't see myself. I'm not going to say ever. Maybe in full PPR it's a little <laughs> different, in full PPR, because wide receivers are valued a little more heavily. But, yeah, if you're looking for a zero RB strategy, that's a good guy to target in the back end of the mid-rounds where the dead zone kind of kicks in for running backs um, just to see if you can feel like you know you can use him. I wouldn't use him as RB1, definitely not. It's not a guarantee he's the full-time guy, but based off the roster, you would assume that you will have the most opportunities out of all the running backs that are currently on the depth chart. Yeah, so I'm just curious about a couple of things. Obviously, since this is B-Wood's sleeper, I'm looking at Gurley's stats from last year, 195 carries. We can agree that he, Mike Davis probably will get more than that, right? I would hope so. I, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think 195 would be a low for him. And Gurley averaged 3.5 yards per attempt. And I think Mike Davis will exceed that. Obviously, like you said, coming from the Titans, he wants to run the ball. My only concern with the Falcons is what it has been for the past couple of years, their offensive line. Last year, they finished as 21st offensive line. They did have two offensive linemen that were in year one, um, but it's going to be tough. Obviously, they're probably going to be playing from behind some, and that's going to be throwing the ball more. But I do think he can also catch balls out of the backfield. So I don't think that should be too much of a problem. Obviously, in PPR leagues, half PPR, he's going to be a good person to have even in your flex or as your RB2 because of that pass-catching ability and because they're going to be from playing from behind. So, next, um, we'll go, go ahead and go into Tilly Sleeper, um, which is very interesting, guys, on a lot of people's boards and a lot of mixed feelings around the fantasy community on where he should go or if his ADP is too high. So you can give, you get a little background, Tilly, on uh, what you believe about your sleeper. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this one. Obviously, Steelers fan, be with the Steelers fan. We both are really high on this guy. Uh, my sleeper is going to be Deontay Johnson. So if you watch football just kind of in your free time, you're not like religiously watching it and you hear about the Steelers offense, you know, they drafted Claypool, well, two years ago now. Um, Juju is a big target. 
and James Conner last year. Those are the three players that you probably heard a lot about if you don't look deep into it. But Deontay Johnson in his first year, which was two years ago, had 88 targets with 59 catches. Last year, it went from 88 targets to 144. Now, let me just put it in perspective. That is the fifth most targeted wide receiver in the NFL. More targets than Tyree Kill. He's got more targets than Allen Robinson. And the only people that were higher than him were Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. Um, You know, those are two guys that obviously are the number one option in their offense. Deontay has a lot. There's a lot of competition in the receiver room, which makes me excited for him. He had 923 total yards last year. I honestly think he's going to have an 1,000-yard season this year. I mean, that's 73 or 77 yards shy of 1,000, and he dropped a significant amount of balls. With the drafting of Najee Harris, obviously the Steelers are going to be a run first, try to be a run first team. That's going to all depend on how the O-line holds up. Um, his average draft position right now is 62. I think that that's a really – you're getting a seal if you take – if you get him that low because I think that his ceiling is going to be, honestly, in my opinion, a low-end wide receiver one. With his floor, they might disagree with me on this. I don't think he falls lower than wide receiver two. I just genuinely think he's going to have a really strong year. He finished 23rd in 2020 and 41st in 2019. Um, He's currently being drafted around DJ Chark, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, um, Robbie Anderson. I think he's honestly the best bet out of those guys. Yeah, so um, we do disagree a little bit in terms of his floor. Um, I think he's a high-end flex. Um, I think I can't see him finishing lower. I can't see him outside the top 30, without a doubt. That, that that I can't see. But I want everybody to know when we are talking, we are referring to – twelve. assume we're talking about 12-man leagues and we are talking about half PPR point formats. So, you know, kind of try to adjust your rankings or whatever. If you're listening, kind of try to adjust to full point PPR or if you play in standard leagues. By the way, nobody should ever be playing in standard leagues. But if you are playing in standard leagues, then, yeah, try to adjust because PPR, that makes a huge difference in where I would draft Deontay if it wasn't a PPR league. And I would have him a lot higher if it is a full PPR league. So with him, I feel like his ceiling, I would see him finishing anywhere between an half PPR, probably about 15 to 20. That's just my personal opinion where I can see him finishing. Um, I can't see him being a top 12, 13 guy. Like, again, I just think it's too entirely too many weapons. Um, it's very possible, but it's just not what I believe. And based off Deontay coming from a Ravens fan, Deontay honestly is one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. Like, I, I just watch the guy week in and week out. He just gets open, man. It doesn't matter if he's in a slot. It doesn't matter if he's in the outside. He just gets open. Now, the problem may be for some people, we would like to see a little more deep ball, deep balls thrown target his way. And I don't know exactly how Big Ben will come back this year. Do maybe he's better year two with after the elbow injury, or maybe it's the same type of offense. I do believe they didn't draft Najee Harris in the first round to not at least try to initiate running the ball a little more. So that does scare me a little bit from some of the Steelers wide receivers. I just feel like they'll at least try their hardest to make sure the ground and pound is something that they emphasize going into the 2021 season. So we'll just see how that goes. I mean, it may 
just open up more lanes for the Steelers wide receivers. I just think the offensive line is really the biggest worry for me. They did release a lot of people. And you lost Mike Pouncey, who was a consensus top five center in the league. I think some people undervalue how important having an elite center is that really can make a huge difference for your quarterback and comfortability and everything of that sort. So, yeah, I'm really a really big fan of Deontay Johnson. He's one of the guys on my list that I enjoy watching every week just play football. He's a really talented guy. Like I said, he gets open. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just amazing mm-hmm. to watch to me, you know. And I get we're probably a little higher on him than everybody else. And it's coming from Ravens fans, so no bias. I get that we're definitely a little higher on him than everybody else. So I guess we'll just see how the season goes. Yeah, um, I definitely just agree with everything you just said, Joe. Um, Tilly, I also agree with you 100%. I'm probably one of the biggest Deontay Johnson advocates out there. And I would have had him as my sleeper if you didn't. But I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Um we were talking about it a little bit last night, but we can't ignore the fact that, you know, Juju was still a solid receiver last year. He had nine touchdowns at his peak. He was a 1,400-yard receiver. And Claypool has shown a lot of signs of, you know, an exceptional talent and should be on the verge of a breakout this year. I was just wondering, Tilly, uh, the Steelers have a new OC this year, and are you worried at all that Deontay Johnson's role could change at all this year? Not com- not really, to be honest with you. Obviously, like we said, they're gonna try and run the ball. They're gonna they got an amazing running back. They're gonna try and run the ball. But something that I think about is you got 92 targets first year, 144 your second. Let's be realistic, he's not getting 144 again. But I think that 120 targets for him is a range that might happen. I think that. When, like I said, obviously teams know he's there, but since he dropped so many balls, I think teams are more comfortable leaving him having the chance of him getting open than a Claypool getting open because of the drop issue. I do think that in the red zone, he might score a couple more times this year just because Claypool is that big target in the red zone and Najee Harris, they're going to try and pound it in. Yeah. So basically for Deontay, I. You do a little better research, but I believe during the whole season, he ended up having a total of, I want to say, 14 to 16 drops. I think people understand how much of a difference that makes. He had 89 catches, and he had 14 drops. Now, no receiver is going to catch every single pass. I 100% get that. But if you take the 14 to 16 and put that down to six or seven, the guy has – he's up to 95, 96 catches. And all of a sudden, you basically have you, – you know, basically, you have a 1,000-yard receiver. And offense, and the Steelers weren't playing behind all the time. Like they were, what you guys start off eleven and 12 and zero. Um, Something like that. Got, we, we, got, it was a good time. About what happened after that? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I'm saying you can't just say like you know it was like garbage time yards. Like a lot of the times you guys weren't behind. You were just a pass first offense due to weak mm-hmm. offensive line play. Which again, from my personal opinion, I feel as if I, I don't know if the offensive line got better. I mean, I I believe it probably got worse. I don't just based off. I hope, the it, I hope it could get any worse, man. We're, we're pretty yeah, bad. So I, yeah, that is true. Maybe <laughs> it could get any worse. I, I don't know. Um. So yeah. So basically, Deontay was always the first guy to get open, in my opinion. So I feel like he was the easiest to target because he constantly got open more than any of the other receivers. So yeah, I mean, I feel like this. I don't agree with Tilly on terms. I feel probably get 120 targets. I feel that. Personally, the Steelers will be worse this year than what they were last year. 
No, I cannot assume that. Think about it. We added a whole extra game in the season. And if you guys are worse, you're going to throw the ball more. I'm not saying he's going to get more than 144, but I feel like it's, a, it's probably in between at 120, 144 range, probably closer to the high 120s, low 130s. The last sleeper for our topic today will be Ryan Tannehill, and that's who I'll be using. Tannehill is definitely undervalued to me, especially where his current ADP is and where he sits. I feel like he's a good guy to draft if you're not going to be heavy in the first couple of rounds when you get to those three, four, five rounds. Um, Mahomes obviously will be the unanimous first QB off everybody's board. Then you have your Lamars, Kyle Murray's, Dak Prescott's. I think after that, it's not a drop-off, but you're really pushing if you're drafting a guy that early at quarterback at that point, especially with no rushing upside. Josh Allen as well. I'm sorry. Let me not forget Josh Allen. Definitely, if you haven't drafted a QB with no rushing upside in the top five, he better throw 45 touchdowns for you for you to be satisfied at what, what he's doing, to be completely honest. So, yeah, going back to Tannehill, it took him about seven weeks before he became the starter in Tennessee. He was thrown into the game in week six, so I try not to count that one. He was thrown in, you know, kind of in the middle of the game. So from week seven to the end of the season in 2019, he was the QB four once, once he became the starter, and I feel like that's kind of not talked about enough. And in 2019, he averaged – when he was a starter, he averaged 20.9 points per game. And then when he became the full-time starter in 2021, that went up one full point to 21.9 points per game. So that was a good jump to see from him and see that he can, you know, uh, progress and develop in Arthur Smith's offense. I do think it would be a little different now that he has a different offensive coordinator. So we'll see exactly how he uses Tannehill or if he uses his skill set in a similar fashion or not. So in 2020 – Tannehill was the QB seven when he got a full season to start and he tallied a total of 350 points. So that's pretty good. Um, there definitely was a gap between him and QB four by about 24, 25 points. Um, so that's definitely the note, but QB seven is pretty impressive. You definitely can't complain, especially where you got Tannehill at, especially where you got Tannehill at his ADP last year. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I know you got him pretty late. If you did draft Tannehill, you were pretty happy if you had Tannehill, in the late rounds and Tannehill last year, I mean, he gave you 33 passing touchdowns, seven rushing touchdowns and seven rushing touchdowns is a considerable amount from a quarterback. You don't find a lot of guys that get past that five, six mark. And you have your Josh Allen's, your Lamar's Kyler was a really big outlier in that, especially doing a lot of read option on the goal lines. Kyler would take a lot away from the running backs. Um, so I think Tannehill gives you a good rushing upside and a good base for that to you know give you some a little bit of security per game and he's not gonna score a rushing touchdown every game and we have to remember in the average league you usually have passing touchdowns are worth four and rushing touchdowns are worth six so there's a two-point difference in that and that definitely makes a difference in what you kind of get out of where quarterbacks measure up at the end of the season and how they what they rank at the end of the season so I just think Tannehill in my opinion has a good chance to be valued he could be lower lower than quarterback seven, but my assumption is that I don't think he'll be lower than seven or eight. So I feel like at worst you're getting similar, may not may not be similar statistics, but a similar finish to what you got last year. And top five might be a stretch, but it's a possibility. You never know. I guess depending on what he does now that he has Julio Jones and the offense would be a lot different. So um, just a little stat that I'll – like a lot, um, since Tannehill became a starter in week seven in 2019, up until current date, he's been a quarterback number three 
He's only behind Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. And that's very impressive to me since he became the starter. He's literally the third best fantasy quarterback since he became the starter for the fantasy tight. Let's say fantasy tight end. For the Titans, um, he's become the third best quarterback. So, I mean, and another boost is that, granted, he didn't start a whole season, so this stat is kind of skewed a little bit. But he definitely he had 26 touchdowns in 2019 when he was the starter for about 10, 11 weeks. And then he went all the way up to 40 touchdowns, which is a crazy amount. Now, I do agree that the number will be skewed a little bit. I think there's a uh, regression coming in the rushing touchdown statistics. I don't think he'll score seven rushing touchdowns, but I very well may be wrong completely about him scoring seven rushing touchdowns. I just think that's – for any quarterback, I think seven rushing touchdowns is quite a high number. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I love Tannehill, especially where he's being valued at his ADP, especially if you're not targeting one of the quarterbacks early. I think he's a great guy to go after. He gives you a decent amount of rushing upside. I guess he's not Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson, or Josh Allen, I get it. But he gives you a lot of value, especially if you want to go QB towards the later rounds of the back end of the draft or the back half of the draft. You know, you guys touched on most of it. We talked about the situation earlier. I do think top five might, in my opinion, pushing the top five, I think he can do it. I don't think it'll happen. I think he's that five to eight range is really where he's going to sit. If he drops outside the top 12, fire him. Bring Mariota back. Listen, I mean, I, I can't see Tannehill being any worse than the top 10 QB. And you prefer to not you, – you really can't complain if you have a top 10 quarterback. Like, you can't complain. But there definitely is a significant difference if you have the number one guy and the number 10 guy compared to the number one guy and the number six or seven guy. Definitely a huge difference in terms of what you're expecting in production aspects. Um, yeah, I definitely – Tannehill is probably one of my favorite guys if his value or ADP stands where it stays. Again, I know some people are drafting, you know, like this week, next week, depending on how you draft. We always recommend please do not draft until after the preseason. Just a personal opinion. We've all had plenty of years where we've drafted before the preseason. Guys have gotten torn ACLs, messed up meniscus, whatever you want to say it is. Like, it's, it really bothers us. So after that season, we just stopped drafting before until at least after preseason is over. So, I mean, now we'll head into our next and last topic of the session. And we'll go into our questionables in terms of what we think questionable scenarios are, questionable players. What do we think that, you know, really bothers us in terms of we really we have a good idea, but we also don't have a good idea because we're not in these people's camps. So, yeah, I'll kind of go ahead and let Telly start off with his questionable of this season. Yep. So one that stood, stood out to me immediately is the Dolphins pass catchers. Let's be honest, there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen. We got Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle, Mike Gusecki, Devontae Parker, all fighting for the ball. I'm going to be honest, they know who I like in this situation. I'm huge on him. He's got a little bum hammy, some injury bugs. I'm a Will Fuller fan. I love Will Fuller's upside. Several, honestly, I think the past three years, I've picked him up as a free agent just to have him. And I end up starting him the week that he has that one 40-point game every single year that everybody knows about. But it's hard, though, because of how many receivers they have, how many pass catchers they have. Um, Just looking at some stats, Gasecki last year had 85 targets and 703 receiving yards. That's good stats for a tight end. That's 13.3 13.3 yards of reception. Devontae Parker, obviously in 2019, he had that 1,000-yard season. 
you're expecting, you know, maybe a little regression. He was targeted 25 times less, still had 793 yards, a 12.6 yards of reception, but his touchdowns cut nearly over half. He went from nine touchdowns to four. I think coming out of uh, the Dolphins situation, it's going to be whoever gets the most touchdowns, honestly, is going to be their best rated receiver. Looking at in half point, obviously, the receivers are all around each other. Will Fuller right now is 38, Devontae Parker at 44, and Jalen Waddell at 51. I mean, that's that's very close to each other um, when receiver rankings. Like I said, I like the Will Fuller. They're going to disagree maybe, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, so it's not that I completely disagree. Um, I think Will Fuller's talent is completely off the charts. And some people may be a little skewed and feel differently because of the, I don't know what the exact thing that happened. I want to say PED use, but let's just say performance enhancement drugs, whatever he was using. Um, would definitely skew a little bit how they feel about his last season and like those high numbers that he was putting up because he was on a career pace with Deshaun Watson that year. So that's also my worry. It's different between a lot of difference, a big difference between having Deshaun Watson and Tua. It's not anything disrespect to Tua. It's just the honest truth. It's just, you know, we haven't seen Tua came in. They benched Fitzpatrick for Tua. Then Tua got benched for Fitzpatrick again. So I'm not sure exactly what to expect from Tua. We expect him to, you know, take a jump, especially with all the weapons he's been given. Will Fuller's a really good weapon. Devontae Parker, is, to me, is still a good NFL wide receiver. Jakeem Grant is going to be – he's going to have his big plays. He's going to be explosive. And Jalen Waddle, of course, the top ten pick, is definitely a guy that they expect to get involved really a lot. I think Waddle is similar to Fuller in, like, the deep ball threat aspects. After watching Waddle in college a lot, I don't think he cannot run the other routes. I just think he's better – at the more deep to intermediate routes, the digs, the posts, the non-balls. He can run slants and everything. I just think his biggest strength is those deep ball routes and getting him in space, preferably just getting the ball in his hands. So I feel like Tua has a lot more options. It's just with Will Fuller, I feel like he still has a chance to be number one in this offense, especially if he can give you anything what he gave you last year. I just think it's more dependent on quarterback play rather than actual Will Fuller's ability in terms of what I expect from Will Fuller. Um, can somebody, if somebody has a, has it open right now, can somebody give me Will Fuller's ADP real quick while I'm talking? I just think Will Fuller, his skill set, he's definitely developed as the NFL wide receiver year after year and gotten better. We all just know what the biggest worry is, the injury bug, man. It's, there's not been one injury, one season where this man has not had a serious injury, especially the hamstring is getting annoying. Yeah, So his ADP is 94. You say he's what? 94. Um, in 12-man leagues, you're getting him at the end of the eighth. In the 10-man leagues, you're getting him halfway through the ninth. And I feel at that point, for the most part, for the average person, he's probably your wide receiver four at that point or the wide receiver three at worst. So you can't even complain if he's your wide receiver four. You're really just throwing the dart and seeing what happens with a guy that has tremendous upside and talent just as an individual player. The player that I would bet on to be the most productive receiver in Miami this year is Will Fuller. Um, before his suspension uh, last year in week 13, he was wide receiver five, which is insane. Um, like Joe mentioned, uh, he was suspended for PED violation, and that very well could have played a role, quote unquote, in his incredible production last year. Um, I believe 
a major reason for him doing so is because Will Fuller is one of those guys who gets injured on a yearly basis. Um, and all of a sudden last year, he didn't get injured at all and had the best season of his career. So it could have played a role. Maybe it didn't. Um, we'll see. As far as the competition that he faces in Miami, um, I didn't really like the connection that I saw between Devontae Parker and Tua last year. I know it was Tua's first year, but I just didn't like what I saw. And I feel like Waddle will take some time to adjust to the NFL game, especially after missing a lot of the season last year in college due to injury. Um, I feel like he is also – well, I feel like Will Fuller is also great of, at forming separation, which will be great a great target for Tua as he tries to bounce back from his mediocre season that he had last year. Um, I will mention that Will Fuller is facing a one-game suspension, but following that, I think he will be the most dependable receiver option in Miami. So, yeah. So, um, next we'll go ahead into the what we call the Aaron Rodgers effect and trying to look into this season and determining whether he'll be here or whether he won't be here. My personal belief is that it's tough. I'm 50-50 between I think he'll play for the Packers, but it will not be week one. And the other part is that he will be traded like he's asked to be traded. So it's kind of a tough position to be in. For those who are drafting Aaron Rodgers or who have already drafted Aaron Rodgers, I would definitely draft us what I consider a solid QB, a backup option, just in case. Um, and worst case, you know, you do have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, best case, you have Aaron Rodgers. And worst case, you know, you have a guy that you still believe in on the back end of court as QB2. So... The Aaron Rodgers effect, I guess it's more so about how do you feel that it affects Devontae Adams? Do you feel like he's QB proof? How, how does it affect Aaron Jones, the Robert Tongans of the world? Um, we all know I'm Tilly's a lot higher than Tongan than I am. I just felt like he had one of the most historic seasons in terms of touchdown rate. It makes no sense how often he scored a touchdown. It doesn't make any sense. I just don't believe that's repeatable. Again, personal thing. So, uh, yeah, I'll just kind of let these guys take over a little bit and how they feel about each situation, how they feel about Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, or the Packers offense as a whole, if Jordan Love has to become the starter or without Aaron Rodgers in general. Yeah, so I think Devontae Adams is not – I don't think it's an issue who's a quarterback. Um, he's a great wide receiver, top 30 wide receiver, obviously, in fantasy the past two years. I think he's going to be a top three receiver again, no matter who's thrown to him. I think if it is Jordan Love, I mean, it's going to be his first season as a starter. You, His safety is going to be to throw to Devontae Adams. So the targets will still be there. Aaron Jones, again, I don't see that big of an issue. We'll talk about A.J. Dillon another time. I think that would be more of an issue than Jordan Love for Aaron Jones. Tanyan, on the other hand, I love Robert Tanyan. I picked him up last year. He was a good start for me several weeks. To somehow keep finding these tight ends and they keep working out. I think Tanyan is a little more dependent on Rodgers just because with our first-year quarterback, if it is Jordan Love, he might not be so fond of finding the tight end on the shallow routes. Maybe in the red zone, he's going to be looking more – they're going to be looking more to run the ball with Aaron Jones just because it's harder to make decisions in your first year in the on the goal line. And, I mean, even later in your career, it's hard to make decisions on the goal line. Look at the Super Bowl – Patriots Seahawks several years ago Russell Wilson a great quarterback throws an interception on the goal line it's just I think that they're going to be run heavy in the red zone if they do end up using Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers gets traded but like I said Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones I think they stay where they are I think that they're both still great options at their position 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And this is this is a really interesting situation that's going on in Green Bay right now, um, especially for the fact that he hasn't really commented on the situation at all. Like some people try to compare this to like the Le'Veon Bell situation, holdout type of thing. But this is a lot different. Aaron Rodgers isn't on Twitter get, giving us uh, his thoughts on the situation. He's really just kind of chilling. So we really have no idea what's happening. Um, the only thing we can honestly do right now is just to assume that he won't be there. That's kind of how I've been viewing it. So in my opinion, um, it's pretty clear that you would have to downgrade, I feel as though, the entire Green Bay offense if Aaron Rodgers is not under center this year. Of course, it will affect some players more than others, but I just feel like you have to downgrade everybody. Um, I feel like this last few years, Aaron Rodgers' name has almost gotten lost in the shuffle. Uh, due to the emergence of a lot of, you know, young, talented quarterbacks like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. But before they came along, Aaron Rodgers was and still is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and it's honestly one of the most talented quarterbacks the league has ever seen. And a lot of people are forgetting the fact that the man literally won MVP last year, which is insane considering the amount of quarterback talent in the league. Um there have been numerous examples in history when you remove a veteran franchise quarterback from the team. Um, it usually throws off the flow and tempo of the entire offense. Um, as a Steelers fan, I had to experience this in 2019 when uh, Big Ben wasn't under center and our offense was a mess. However, a player like Devontae Adams, like Tilly said, showed us last year that he's actually unguardable. And he shouldn't be affected as much because I, I would believe that first round draft pick Jordan Love should be able to throw the ball to a man who's wide open. Um, he's a great bailout option for a young quarterback, and it literally doesn't get any better than Devontae Adams. So I feel like uh, his usage shouldn't change at all. It's more so just regarding his efficiency. Um, Aaron Jones production should still be the same as well as far as his usage and opportunity. Um, he just signed a four year contract extension with the Packers. So they have committed to him financially as their guy. And I'm a little worried about regression in touchdowns due to the fact that I don't believe that Jordan Love will have the Packers in scoring positions as efficiently as Aaron Rodgers did in the past. But he will still get a ton of work. Uh, as far as Robert Tanyan, um, I'm more worried about. This is a guy who finished his tight end four last year and was a touchdown machine. But what is terrifying is the fact that he caught 52 out of 59 passes, which is already insane. That's 88 percent scored 11 freaking touchdowns. This man scored a touchdown basically every fifth catch that he made, which is unheard of. Um, I already expected regression from him. But if Aaron Rodgers isn't playing, there's no way you can expect the same type of efficiency and touchdown production from him this year. Aaron Rodgers is one of the most accurate quarterbacks of all time. If A-Rod is playing, I expect similar things from Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams next year. Adams will be, you know, the first receiver drafted off the board uh, as scheduled. Um, Aaron Jones should put up another top five season like he's done the last two years. Like I said, I expect regression from Tanyan, but if Aaron Rodgers is playing, I will respect Tanyan as a solid tight end option if you choose to grab one in the later rounds. So just a quick little thing to wrap this up. Devontae Adams is the universal number one in all of our personal rankings and the consensus rankings. So, Brandon, where do you put Devontae Adams if he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers? I put him at number three behind Tyreek Hill and Stephon Diggs. No, no. <laughs> I just have a feel, man. I just I have a question then. If you're putting him behind Tyreek Hill, 
what Tyree Killers, Travis Kelsey to compete with catches. I'm hearing McCall Hardman is a solid number two coming out of obviously what we hear. We can only take it with a grain of salt. But if you bring in a first year quarterback, you really think he's going to fall from one to three when the quarterback has to rely on someone? It's not more so the fact that I think that he's going to downgrade that much. I just I respect what I saw from Tyreek Hill and Stefan Diggs last year. I respect the performance that they displayed, and I feel as though that they'll put up similar numbers. If Aaron Rodgers isn't under center, I'm just going back to my point. Aaron Rodgers was the best player in the league last year. You remove him from the team, it's going to have an effect. I'm not saying – I'm saying he's he's top three. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's going to fall off the face of the earth. I'm just saying Tyreek Hill has Mahomes as his quarterback. Stephon Diggs has Josh Allen, who was the MVP runner-up. Their situation isn't changing. Devontae Adams is. Um, so that's why I would pref- I, I would feel safer if I'm on the board to choose those two before Devontae Adams. Yeah, I got one question. Um, then say we're going into the draft. Everybody, it's our draft. Aaron Rodgers, we haven't heard anything. He could say he could get traded. You've got the pick where you're taking a receiver, the first receiver off the board. Who are you taking then? So, I mean, if I'm – if I'm looking at Devontae Adams' ADP right now, he's going in the first round. If I'm picking a receiver in the first round, I'm not messing around with some situation where the quarterback, franchise quarterback, who was the best player in the league last year, messing around, not saying anything, not sure. I, I usually don't like to mess around with my first pick. Um, so I, I just can't do the, the Adams pick, especially in the first round. It's between Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Those are my options. Um, <clears throat> if Aaron Rodgers, I don't know what's going on before camp. And Diggs or Tyreek Hill is by far clear cut one, two, and three. I love Hopkins, but I think Hopkins is the clear cut four or five guy. Um, but yeah, I would say Diggs and Tyreek Hill are probably my top two options. If Aaron Rodgers is not there, let me make that clear. If Aaron Rodgers is there, Devontae Adams is the clear cut number one. It's not even close. So we're going to wrap this one up. I just want to shout out uh, two people. First off, both are friends of the show, the Dankery and Durham. One of the best restaurants in Durham. If y'all haven't hit that up, you definitely should. And then I also want to shout out the guy in the intro, one of my college teammates, Deontay Smith. He's an offensive tackle for the Cincinnati Bengals. We do appreciate him giving us that intro and being a fan of the show. And yeah, if you guys haven't already, be sure to follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at Podcast EGS. And I'm repeating one more time, Podcast EGS. We appreciate all the love that we've received so far. Right now, we're sitting at 59 followers on Instagram, which we're actually excited about. Um, We actually didn't know what to expect. We kind of just got the ball rolling with this thing and just kind of taking it day by day. So we really appreciate all the love that you guys have shown us so far. Um. Also, we appreciate it if you could, you know, reach out to us on those platforms. Let us know how you like the show. Let us know if there's anything you want us to change. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. We really want to make this thing a community. Um, we're, we're open to all, you know, criticism, feedback. Uh, we appreciate it all. Um, so that's a wrap for everything today. I um, appreciate you guys for staying and listening this long all the way to the end. As always, you know, if you can, if you're on Spotify, Apple, leave us a five-star review. Um, any comments or, you know, critiques, anything will help. You know, you can DM, DM us on Instagram, Twitter, as uh, we all know we'll have more content coming for you guys soon. We should have another episode up by the end of this week as well. We're going to call that a note on today's episode, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.